know, as a church, we believe that family matters. We believe that the family is important. And that's why we've taken five weeks to teach on family matters, things concerning the family. Tonight, I want to talk to the men again in the area of their role as a father, okay? So turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to get there. Now, I would imagine um, that there are all kinds of thoughts and opinions in this room about what a father should be, about what a father shouldn't be, and all of those are probably based upon their own personal experiences of what you either had or you didn't have in a father. And, but, you know, part of the challenge of this series is that we move beyond those experiences and beyond the effects that those experiences had on us and learn what God wants from us in those roles that he's called us to as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers. Um, in Ephesians 5.22, you can talk about this a couple of weeks ago, Paul tells us who and what we need to be as men to our wives. And he bottom lines it. The way that a husband loves and sacrifices his, for his wife plays a huge role in her becoming everything that she needs to become. And it's not too terribly different for us in our role as a father to our kids. So much of who we are, so much of what we do for our kids will affect who they become as adults. And there's all kinds of things that we can be doing But Paul devotes one verse, (laughs) one verse to the role of a father. And it's pretty surprising what he focuses on. Go ahead and look what he says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and give you this sermon in the sentence. Keep your kid, kids, in line so that your line will be blessed. Keep your kids in line so that your line will be blessed. Paul could have said all kinds of things as instructions to the father. He could have said, you know, make sure that you you throw the old pigskin with your boy and make sure that you play kitchen with your daughter make every moment a memory and by the way we should be doing those things right dads but paul says that the one thing that you better get right is discipline (laughs) and why would he say that i personally believe that one of the things at least that's on his mind is the encounter that moses had with god and you remember moses pleaded with God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. Reveal to me your reputation, what you're known for. In other words, what can I count on from you? And God says, okay, I'll show you a little bit. And in chapter 34 of Exodus, it says that the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, and most of us know that part, right? The Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Says it in several places in the Bible. But most of us may not be familiar with what he goes on to say in verse 7. Look what he says. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on children and on the grandchildren, and on the third and fourth 
generation. Whoa, that's intense. Agreed? And that's not even the first time God said that. Whenever he was laying down the Ten Commandments for Moses and the people of Israel in chapter 20, one of the first things he said is, Focus all your worship on me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And he says the same thing. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands for those who love me and keep my commands. And what God wants everyone to know is that there's nothing more important than putting him first in everything you are and everything that you do. And that when we don't, it affects not only us, but also those who are in our realm of influence. And especially those whom we have spiritual authority over. Like our children. You with me? I think that's why Paul said, bring your kids up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Again, I'm talking to men tonight. Ladies, you you hang with me too because so much of this applies to us. But first and foremost, to the men because the men are the fathers. Now, you may be single here tonight and may not have a husband. You may be raising some kids by yourself. Take notes because there's some things that can apply. Okay? Guys, we've got to teach our kids the things of the Lord. Agreed? And not just for their sakes, apparently for their children's sake. And real quick, let me clarify two things about what God and Moses were talking about. First, I want you to notice that God, and back in Exodus, I want you to notice that God didn't say that the sins of the father are passed down to the children, but that our iniquity can be passed down. And in case you don't know the difference between sin and iniquity, let me just tell you really quick. Sin is an outward action or movement. Iniquity is the inward attitude or motivation. If you want a real simple way of of understanding that, sin is in the hand, iniquity is in the heart. Sin is in the hand, iniquity is in the heart. And if the attitude or the iniquity is in the heart, then the action could very well follow the motivation. Isn't that true? Like when God says, when God says, don't step over this line, and then we step over that line, that's sin. That's transgression. But the heart attitude behind the action is iniquity. A great example is, uh, is adultery. Okay, adultery is an outward movement, okay? And that's sin. Lust would be the inward motivation behind that outward movement, and that would be the iniquity. And both are bad. Both are not right. God looks at them both and has opinions, right? <laughs> right? And if we allow men, women, if we allow lust to stay in our heart as an iniquity, then there's a good chance that it could lead to some sort of sexual immorality, maybe even adultery. But one thing to be sure of, according to what God said twice now, is that it could definitely visit our children. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of scary. Men, what, and women, What is in our heart? What are the iniquities in our heart? What are the inward motivations that keep leading us to sinful outward movement? I mean, do we even realize those things that are in us? And do we realize that they're not just 
our issues. And that if they're not dealt with, they are certainly will visit our kids. And again, you know, especially if we're not teaching them, disciplining and teaching them the things of the Lord. Um, one of the things that I struggled with really all the way until probably my late 20s, um, even six to seven years after, eight years after I was saved, was anger. I'm just a very angry person. Some of you that knew me back then are like, dang, you sure were, I remember. Okay, just being angry. And a lot of it, I have reasons. It traces all the way back to mom and dad splitting up some of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago. We were youth pastors at a church um, in Lindell for seven years. And one morning, Aiden was about, he was about four, four years old, uh, maybe five, four or five years old. And you know how after service, everybody's milling around talking and Aiden's running around and all his friends. And there's this boy that kept coming up to him and pushing him in the back when Aiden wasn't paying attention. And Aiden would fall down and Aiden, having the good parents that he did, raising him right, would stand up and say, and I was standing on the other side of the church and I was watching all of it. I was like, dang. And, but you'd see Aiden stand up and, and say, please don't do that to me. <laughs> And then they would go back and playing. And this happened four times. He would get up, take himself up off the floor. Please don't do that with me or to me. Another time, three times. And so one more time, this kid came up behind Aiden and pushed him. And Aiden went, boom, boom. (laughs) And this kid literally just went, boom, right on his back. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) It was crazy. Now, I don't know how much of that has to do with the iniquity passed down, but you know, at the time, I mean, I wasn't punching people. I don't think. But at the time, that was still something that I was dealing with in my own heart. That iniquity, that anger. Can anybody relate? The second quick thing I wanted to show you is really good news. Remember he said, visiting the iniquities of the father on the children and and goes on to say further generations But he says, of those who hate me. That's very important. In other words, those who are focused on loving God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength, are exempt from such a visitation. You guys hear what I'm saying? In other words, we won't have to worry about the iniquities of our earthly fathers. Because we're going to be rewarded with the loving kindness of our heavenly father. That's good news, isn't it? Okay, unless you were worried about, oh man, what did my dad pass on to me? Listen, love and kindness is a reward for those who diligently seek him. Amen? It's good news. In fact, God made a way for us to be free from both sin and iniquity. Both of them. Most of us are familiar with Isaiah 53. uh, Particularly verse 5. He was wounded for our transgression or for our sin. He was bruised for our iniquity. Now think about this. The lashes that Jesus took on his back... And then the nails that he took in his hands and his feet and even the crown that was put upon his head were outward wounds. And they had the power to wipe away all of our outward sin. True or false? Come on, true or false? But we also know that Jesus was punched. We know that he was kicked. We know that he was beaten with Lord knows what. And every one of those things would have left bruises. On Jesus. Now think about what a bruise is. A contusion. How many of you medical people are in here? 
Think about what a bruise is. It's when small blood vessels break and that stuff leaks into the tissue beneath the skin. A bruise is an internal wound. You picking up what I'm laying down? So everything that needs to be done to set us free from outward sin and from inward iniquity has been done in and through Jesus Christ. That's what scripture tells us. Even the inside stuff, he took care of that. I mean, we can't afford to waste that sacrifice. <laughs> Again, that's why, that's why Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, your translation may read, bring them up in the training and instruction. I think it's the King James Version that says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, instruction, admonition, that means to teach the mind, okay? So you can look at it this way. It's, it's sowing the seed of God's word and sowing the seed of, in, of God's ways into the heart of a child, okay? So this is our effort to bring them up, if you will, on the inside. Discipline training, nurture, discipline, I believe is a combination of a few things, okay? Um, repeating, you can write these things down, repeating. In other words, we know that when you do something over and over and over and over, and over again, eventually you're going to be able to do that without even thinking, right? How many of you actually remember every turn and every life that you went to on your way here today or on your way to work, right? So repeating, uh, repeating the instruction, of course, repeating the discipline. No, son, don't do that. No, any kind of repetition is going to ingrain in their hearts and minds what should be do that they should be doing, what's in line and what's out of line. Okay, so repeating to me is part of discipline. You repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. Uh, reproving. If you don't know what reproving means, that's just that's like a reminder, gentle reminders, gentle forms of correction of what is in line and what is out of line. You guys know what I mean when I say out of line. Gentle reminders. Of what's in line and what's out of line. And then there is a third part of it. And I'm just for the sake of definition, I call it retribution. By definition, that just means punishment for doing something that is clearly out of line. So repeating, reproving, retribution. At some point, it does have to come to a little, a little bit of pain. I, I remember Cannon, my middle son. Whew, man, okay. So... Um, he was tough. He was a tough one. Aiden, for the most part, was pretty responding to discipline. Hey, son, don't do that. Oh, okay, I'll never do that again in my whole life, you know. Cannon was not like that. My second son, four years later, Melissa and I thought we, uh, we didn't know what happened, you know. Wrong stork, wrong house. We had the fireplace. We had these uh, fireplace tools. You guys know what I'm talking about, the poker and the broom and the um, shovel tongs, all that stuff. And we had him right there by our fireplace, and that was a no-no. That was off limits because he could hurt himself. It could fall over him. So he's literally crawling. I mean, he's like eight months old, six months, six to eight months old, maybe eight or nine months old. And he can crawl. He can get around the house. And, and so he's over there, and he goes over to it, and he starts to touch it. And he's like, oh, no, nobody. We don't touch that. No, no. I don't know how many times I've said no, no in my lifetime. No, no. And he's just kind of like, <laughs> no, he didn't do that. <laughs> but he did crawl right back over there and touch it again. Oh, no, no, son. No, 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 no. We don't touch that. Nope. He goes over there 
No, 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 no. Now, some people at that moment would remove the obstacle. I don't believe that you remove the obstacle. You remove the iniquity. (laughs) Amen? And so what we learned to do early on is this time he goes over there, and I gently grabbed his hand and squeezed it enough that he knows that daddy's he-man, okay? (laughs) No, no. And then I brought him back over here. And we're talking about Canon Herring. He's a little different now, but back then he was like, you know. He's t- and I'm telling you, I am kidding you not, for an hour. Okay, and I think by the third, fourth, maybe fifth time, um, we were squeezing his hand pretty hard. And I think for him, obviously, he knew that he was, I don't know, but it was like, no, son. And his little hand was red as a beet. But eventually, he did not go back to the deal ever. I don't know if I should tell that story. <laughs> it's at that point where you wanted to say, no, no. I said, no! You know, and throw him out the window. <laughs> Quick side story. Um, when, when Cannon was first born and, you know, Melissa's spending that quality time nursing and feeding the baby and all that stuff. Of course, Aiden's four years old now. And he feels neglected by mom, you know. And so he walks up to mom and, um, and she's talking to him and holding Cannon and Aiden's like, We're like, oh, she's <laughs> now we're worried about Aiden's going to his that iniquity of anger. What's going to happen? You know, anyway, whatever. Probably shouldn't tell that story either. All right, but listen. At some point in the in the in the um, process of discipline, there's got to be a little bit of pain. Everybody say pain. In fact, the phrase "bring them up" in the ancient Greek it suggested. Um, like the physical development, and it says, by care and by pain, is what it says. The way that that word was generally used, that phrase for that word, bring them up, it talked about care and it talked about pains. And like we said, you know, the effort to bring them up on the inside through instruction, this is our effort to bring them up on the outside. Um, and then, you know, the word used here for discipline is the same word in the Hebrews 12, which some of you may know, for um, the word chastening. If you read it, it says, you have forgotten what I've spoke to you as sons. And he says, my sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And the writer says several good things about discipline in this, but look what he says in verse 11. You don't have to turn there. Well, I don't know if I have this one up there. But it says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't that good? We sow into their little hearts what is right. We draw the line for them. And we remind them when they're out of line, because all of us need reminders from time to time. Isn't that true? We remind them, no, buddy, you're out of line. And then, if, well, more like when... They're out of line again. We have to spank them. We have to spank their little bottoms. And it's not fun. It's not fun for them. It's not fun for us. But the results, Scripture says, brings peace and righteousness now, but it also brings peace and righteousness in the future. Yeah, Pastor Tony, I hear what you're saying, but I, I could never spank my kids. I just love them too much. Wait a minute. That's not scriptural. 
It's not what God's word teaches. Finish this sentence for me. Spare the rod. That's not what scripture says. That's not what it says. That's what we've been told for a long time. This is the NLT version, but this is what it says. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. And there's really no, oh, well, that's the NLT. No, go look at all the versions. We've been quoting it wrong. It doesn't say anything about spoiling. Now, we know that a child can be spoiled when we hate them in such a way. We get that, but that's not what the scripture says. When we do not spank our children, what we are inadvertently saying is, I hate you. I don't believe in what you could become. Therefore, I am not going to take the time to sow into you the attributes that would make what you become the best that you can be. But those who love their children care enough to discipline them is what it says. Hebrews 12, 6 again. Who the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges. That literally means he inflicts pain upon every son he receives. Proverbs three twelve is another one. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And he tells us to do the same. Amen? But it hurts me. It hurts me to hurt them. But it's not about you. Is it? It's not about you. It's about a child understanding what is called for and what is not called for. What lines up And what is out of line? Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, And look at that. Look at that real quick. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's not. It's not enough to just take them to church. It's not just. It's not enough just to read them uh, bedtime Bible stories. It's not enough to have them read, uh, read and memorize scripture. All those those things are good. We've got to be doing those things. That's not the point. You know. I have to hold them. We have to hold them to the things that they are learning. If, if I don't, then they're understanding. Here's what they understand. All of this really doesn't matter. When we don't hold them to those things that we are, we are proclaiming as standards, what we're really saying is that that doesn't matter. And, if, if this, and this is true of everything. It doesn't matter what you apply that to. It's, it's true. Everything from following God to jumping up and down on the couch. It's all the same, isn't it? Whatever you've established as being out of line, you have to discipline when they cross that line. In fact, our ability to discipline in the everyday practical things will have an effect on how they respond to spiritual things. One of the greatest examples of this, uh, everything that we're talking about is in, the, is in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's go ahead and look at it. I think we have, a little, we have time. 1 Samuel chapter 3, you, you might already be there. And I'll try to, I'll try to go through this concept as fast as I can. Um, 1, Cha- 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, it starts out, it says that the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Let me, let me go ahead and, and tell you kind of the scene, what's going on. You have Samuel and have Eli. Eli was the high priest of that time. He was the highest religious figure that existed. Samuel is the son of a lady named Hannah. Hannah um, was not able to have children and she just begged and begged and begged and prayed and prayed and prayed that the Lord would give her a son. And it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. One day she prays and said, God, if you give me a son, I will devote him to you. I will give him over to you. And God said, ooh, I like that kind of faith. 
So he gives her a son. And when he was, I don't know, two, three years old, after he was weaned probably, he took, she took Samuel to Eli to be trained in the house of the Lord, to be trained in ministerial things in the priesthood. Okay, so that's where we're at. And it says, it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now the eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see very well. And the lamp of God had not gone out yet, which just means it was really, really, really early in the morning. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was, that the Lord called Samuel. So the Lord spoke to Samuel in the wee hours of the morning. And he said, here I am. We have a little storybook that we, I think all of them, but one in particular, when we would read this story, the story of Samuel and Eli, um, it would always say, God would say, Samuel, Samuel. So all of our kids would say, And so Samuel said, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Lay down. I'm trying to sleep. War. Five o'clock in the morning. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli again and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not, know, did not yet know the Lord nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. In other words, he had, not, he had not gotten that prophetic revelation and that kind of encounter with God that Eli and many other high priests and prophets had had. had. He had not had those yet, but he just did, didn't he? So, um, so the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. And then Eli figured it out. He discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called at, uh, as at other times, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Now get this, this is really important. This is the beef of what we're talking about. Not the beef, but the meat part. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel in which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now real quick let me just say that God had already spoken through another man of God to Eli that judgment was coming upon his house. And I'll tell you in a why in a minute. But um, in that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. And here's why. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. Everybody say, iniquity which he knew. But look what it goes on to say. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned by uh, for by sacrifice or offering. Now let me just tell you what, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. What had happened is that Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, they became priests. They grew up and they became priests. His dad's the high priest, they became priests. And they served in the house of the Lord. But what had happened is two, two despicable things. One, they were keeping some of the best of the sacrifice and eating it themselves and giving it to others. The fat, of the, the fat of the lamb, the fat of the ram, the fat of the calf. And they were taking it and they were doing things they were not supposed to be doing with it. But the other thing that was despicable is they were sleeping with the women that would come to the, um, to the tabernacle, to the place of worship. They would seduce them and they would sleep with them. 
you guys know that's not good. Right? And God told Eli on a couple different occasions, you need to deal with that. And it says actually that Eli did. He said, this is not good what you are doing. You need to stop. But they didn't stop and he, did, he never said another word. Now, if you go on to read all this, what you, what you re- well, he just said it. Basically, he's saying, I, because of your iniquity, because of what you've done and their sin, what I'm doing is I am taking the priesthood away from you and your family. There's going to be a cutoff. What was a blessing for you and your family is going to be cut off, and I'm going to give it to someone else. But in that is this huge, huge reality, revelation that Eli did not deal with his sons. Now, granted, they're grown by now. And you could say, well, you know, they had their own choice. They, you know, that really had nothing to do with Eli. And this might be conjecture. But if they were that ignorant and that calloused of the things of the Lord, they would not listen to at least their boss. Right? Right? Eli's high priest. So at least listen to your boss. And as high priest, Eli could have at least fired him, you know, with no severance. You know what I'm saying? He could have done that, but he didn't. But it seems like if that's how Hophni and Phinehas are going to respond to their dad when they're adults, could it be that it's because he didn't really ever have follow-through in the discipline when they were children? Now, again, we don't know that for sure. It's conjecture. We don't know. But it's not hard to consider, is it? These guys were not disciplined as kids. And look what happened to them. Their inheritance was robbed from them. In fact, it goes on to say that they were killed in war. They kept doing ugly things. And I think that's why I love this little instance with Samuel. Because if you read it again, he had already been warned about what was happening with Hophni and Phinehas when Samuel comes on the scene. And I think he realized this is what's going to be happening. And so he began treating Samuel, I believe, a little different than he did his own sons. Oh, I see what's happening, Samuel, my son. The Lord's speaking to you. Listen, trust me. This is what you need to do. When he shows up again, this is what you need to say. This is how you need to respond. You need to say, here I am, your servant. Amen. It's almost like a second chance for him. He realized, I think he realized. Though Samuel wasn't his biological son, he realized his failure as a father. And the dichotomy between the two. His own sons, he didn't raise them the way he needed to. Their inheritance was cut off. Generations, done. And then you read about Samuel, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. And his family and so on. Keep your kid in line. So that your line will be blessed. Amen? I want to close with this. I want to look back at Ephesians 6 again and give you just a couple of practical things. Not even really practical things, just some, just some headliners from the, from the points of this verse. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, let me just say this. You can write this down. Fathers, you are the lead disciplinarian. Okay? You are the lead disciplinarian. This is your role primarily mothers do you discipline absolutely but a husband is the lead disciplinarian in fact if the dad will discipline well on his shift mom will not have to discipline as much on hers <laughs> let me say that again or y'all can just read it let's read it out loud you ready if 
Yeah, just some practical advice. And, and by the way, let me stop and say that um, the first two weeks of May on Wednesday nights, we are going to have a training for, for two weeks of training for parents. Just, and, and we'll pray through, maybe even do a questionnaire on some of the things you're struggling with as parents. Everybody can be a part of it. We're going to help you be the best parents you can be. Is that a good idea? And we'll give a lot more practical things then. But let me just say this, just an observation in this area that you are the lead disciplinarian. Husbands, if you and your wife are together and your kids are together and your kid is out of line, then you get your tail up and you go deal with that kid. Don't sit there on your rump while your, your wife is wrestling this out of control toddler, teenager, young adult. <laughs> you're the role is the primary. You're, you're, it's your role to be the disciplinary first and foremost. Now there's times when you're not there and mom's got to wrestle them by herself. But don't let that happen. You know what that communicates to your children and what it communicates to your wife. Get up. I don't care how far they ran. You go get them. Don't sit there with your clicker while your wife's wrestling. Amen? I'm just saying. Dad will discipline well on his shift. Mom won't have to discipline as much on hers. The second thing it says is do not provoke your children anger. Let me just say it like this. Men, fathers, you are to be led by the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Amen? You are to be led by the Spirit. In other words, do not discipline. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. What that really means is, in your anger, don't provoke your children to anger. Let me say it simply. Do not discipline your kids in anger. If you're mad, if you're ticked off, whatever you got to do, ice water on your head, whatever you got to do. Son, go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. Now, I'll, I'll confess to you right now, I have disciplined way too many times when I am angry. And I would venture to say I'm not the only father or mother who has disciplined in anger. Don't do it. Pause. Breathe. Make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Be ye continually filled, the scripture says. Then it says, but bring them up. Now, I thought about this. Bring them up. And we talked about what that means. But here's what came to me in this last part. Bring them up to where you are. You hear what I'm saying? Here's what you can write down. You are to lead by example. As a disciplinarian, since you are the lead disciplinarian, lead by example. Again, I'm terrible at it in the scheme of things. I was telling somebody this past week, or maybe it was last week, when it comes to teaching about husbands and encouraging husbands, I feel really confident. I feel like I'm a very good husband. I think my wife would say the same thing. But I have had more regret as a father than I've had in anything in my whole life. You can't go back. You can't change it. I don't want a Samuel that I can start over with. I want to do it right with Aiden, Cannon, Rowan, and McKay. And I've done a lot of things wrong, but every day is a day that we can begin again. Because his mercies are new every morning. I pray God's mercies over me and my kids and my wife (laughs) now more than I ever had. And you can do the same thing. And the fourth thing, final thing, it says, in the discipline, bring them up to where you are in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me say it this way. You are to lead with vision. And the vision is God, the things of the Lord, who he is, what he calls for, living a life worthy of the calling. Make sure you're doing it and let that be a vision of how and why you lead your children, discipline your children. 
in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. What do you know and what are you doing about it? And what are you passing on? I have two questions I want to end with. You can write these down. Answer them on your own. Have some discussions. I know men, you guys are still meeting in your groups. Women, you're still meeting in your, your groups. Maybe you're going through a study. Maybe you can put that aside this week and ask yourself these two questions and talk about them. What do I believe my kid could be? What do I believe my kid could be? Do I believe that my kids could have grown up and been the greatest high priest that Israel had ever known? Hophni, the greatest high priest. And his brother, Phineas, the second greatest high priest. They could have arm wrestled for it, I suppose. What do you believe your kid could be? Do you believe they're going to be something? Are they worth sowing into? What do I believe my kid could be? And the second question is this. Is my instruction and discipline helping or hindering them? The way that you lead your family as a disciplinarian, is that helping or is it hurting? You guys stand with me.